Amen. Before we get started in the Word this morning, let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the message this morning. I'm thankful for what's been laid upon my heart. Lord, I pray that each person who hears it, who watches it online, is encouraged by it. Lord, I pray that they are challenged by it. Lord, I pray that your spirit and your presence would work in and through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to begin a new series. If you have the slide up there entitled, Back to Basics. If you could, uh, Cindy, or Cindy, could you turn off, I think it's the third light. I could be wrong. Nope, second light. There you go. Back to basics. You can turn the third one on again. There you go. We want to keep people awake for the most part. Uh, Kelly, that's kind of how it goes. (laughs) Uh, A few months ago, I began working on a sermon series about the big questions of Christianity. Kind of like big questions, clear answers, right? And so that's really kind of what started this. And the questions are big questions, not just in uh, maybe this circle of faith, but among many circles of faith. Number one, is Jesus fully God? That's a big question. We need clear answers to these questions, right? Did Jesus really die for our sins? That's a big question. Is anybody really, and I mean really, going to hell? Yeah, that's a big question. And it's important we have clear answers. Do you need the biblical Jesus to go to heaven? It's a big question. It seems the more conversations I have with people who call themselves Christian, the more I'm convinced that people don't know what the word Christian means. The more and more conversations I have, they they don't know what it, it, you know, maybe it's what they grew up in, it's what they were raised in. So they know a few prayers and they think they have some answers, but they aren't really sure about the important big questions. What does it mean to call yourself a Christian? Some would say, well, I believe in Jesus. How many would say, I believe in Jesus? Right? Oh, good. Hands went up. In a Christian church, that's good. You say you believe in Jesus. Go ahead and raise your hand. Right? Guess what? You are in the same company as the enemy. You are in the same company as the devil. He knows the Scripture. He he knows that Jesus is real. It sounds like it's a good answer until you dig deeper and discover that what they really believe in is not a true Jesus, but a false Jesus. When asked about the Bible and why they believe it, many Christians can't respond. And that's sad. When asked about the Holy Spirit or the Trinity, many Christians just simply, I don't know. Not because they haven't heard the truth, but because they have a hard time explaining it to those around them. Now, this isn't for lack of believing, but sometimes just a lack of understanding. How many know sometimes we believe things we don't fully understand? How many have a cell phone with you? Right? How many have a cell phone? Raise your hand. Raise your hand with your cell phone. (laughs) He is shaking her head. It's at home. Good. How many know how a cell phone works? One, good job. (laughs) 
to, right? All I know is I push a button and I get to talk to Rhonda. Amen? All I know is I push a button and I get to talk to Steve. That's all I know. I know it connects to a tower because that's what they tell me. It connects to a tower and then that tower connects to Steve's tower and it connects to Steve and it does it so in microseconds and whatnot. And it does it so fast I can't even begin to figure it out. But somebody at some point figured it out, right? We use it. We don't understand it. A lot of times with our faith, we use it, but we don't always fully understand it. Hmm. The reason I got into this series and the reason I wanted to make this series is as a resource for, for those people who say, I love the Bible, I love God, I love Jesus, I love Christianity, but I can't really explain it. When it comes to the big questions, I have a hard time explaining it to my friends, I have a hard time explaining it to my loved ones, I don't know how to answer these things. And so I wanted to create this series as a resource for those people. What we're going to do over the next several weeks is examine, or a better way to say it is to re-examine the basics of what we believe and why we believe them. What do we believe and why do we believe it? If you were to go on the internet and look at our website, our Calvary Gospel Assembly website, you would see a tab entitled, What We Believe. If you were to click on that link, it would take you to an FCA website. Go to the next slide. It's not really a slide. It's, a, it's the actual website for the FCA. Now, on the FCA, it says, What We Believe. And you go down the line of what we believe. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is go down the list of what we believe and why. In essence, it is a list of the basics of our faith. In this series, we're going to go down one by one by one and examine each point together. Okay, So you said, Pastor David, why would we do this? I believe that we are getting to a dangerous point in our time where we are right on the edge, and I believe really, truly, right on the edge of true persecution for American Christians. For many people in many countries, they have been enduring persecution for a long, long time. In this country, we have not. But I really believe that we are about to... In, in, I'm not trying to make it sound negative. I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, uh, doomsday type stuff. I'm trying to say this is where we see things going. More and more, I believe that we are on the edge of true persecution and that if we can't fully understand why we believe things, what we believe and why we believe it, if we can't fully explain the big questions of why I believe in Jesus, if we can't do that, I believe that we are going to get slowly picked off by the enemy and we're going to fall prey to the pressure of a culture. We will fall prey to the pressure of a culture. The goal of this series is that it would be a resource for you to not just understand truth, but to be able to share that truth when the opportunity arises. Amen? How many want to be able to share the truth of Christianity? I want to be able to share the truths of the Bible. So, the first up on our list of basics is a simple truth. 
If you can't see it, uh, I'll read it for you. It's not blown up there. It says, we believe the Bible is the only inspired, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. We believe the Bible is the only inspired, say inspired, infallible, say infallible, and authoritative, say authoritative, Word of God. So you say, well, wait, there's some good books out there. And there are a lot of really good books out there. There's books out there that are inspired, but they're not infallible. There's books out there that are inspired, but they're not authoritative. But the Bible is significant and substantial, not just because it's a collection of old books, not just because it's inspired by God, but because it is infallible and the authority of our lives. In other words, it is absolutely trustworthy. Amen? In fact, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that it is God-breathed. 2 Timothy verse two, or chapter 2, verse 16 says this. Go to the next slide. It says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Go to the next slide. It says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hominius and Philetus. Go to the next slide. And it says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Is that? Go, go, that's, I'm sorry. Go back. Go back. That's Second Peter. I'm reading Second Peter there. I didn't put it. Second Timothy 2, 16, 17 says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's not on the slides. Forgive me. Um, I, I listed the wrong verse on there for what it is. It used to be, how many know, uh, it used to be if you went to a hotel or a motel and you went to uh, the bedside and there was a little, little uh, what do they call it? Nightstand. Thank you. Is that what they call it? What are they, somebody else called it something else. No? Nightstand? That's what it's called? Why am I blanking on this? I don't know. I have one next to my bed. That's all right. You open up the drawer, and what would you see? A Bible. How many have your Bible with you this morning? Nobody has your Bible with you? Now, in all fairness, <laughs> I brought my Bible this morning. This is my Bible. I love my Bible. This is really, this is, a, this is an older Bible. This is, uh, guess how old this Bible is? 30 years. Uh, who said 30 years? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's all right. It's a good guess. Uh, this is, an, this is a, a much, much older Bible. So, uh, Gary, how old do you think this Bible is? No? 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 Okay, that's all right. What's that? 1960? 60 years old. Okay. So, okay. Any, anybody older? Anybody older than 60 years old? Yeah, you sure can. Mike, come here. Mike, come here. Mike, I, I have the date. Very, very old. Very old. What was the date that was given? 1997. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that so old? All the older people are like, what? Are you kidding me? No, listen. 1997, this, this was given to me. I was a student. I was just 17 years old at the time. And... For me, for me, I was very young, and now I'm not. 
But it was given to me on Christmas in 1997, and I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe it was given to me by my, by my grandmother. This is called the Spirit-Filled Life Bible for Students, New King James Version. And you can see it's actually pretty dirty. It's pretty worn out. It's pretty torn up. Um, this is the Bible I took with me everywhere. I took it with me to college, and, and it got all, you know, messed up and worn out. I once heard a, a good preacher say, oh, if a Bible is worn out, it's a good chance the owner is not. Uh, so that's always a good thing to hear. How many read your Bible? That's good. For the most part, and I would say this is true, for the most part, we don't carry around Bibles with us anymore because we have our phones and our fancy gadgets where we have the Bible in almost every translation and language is available to us at a moment's notice, right? But if you would have opened up the nightstand, you would have seen a Bible put there by the Gideons. It's a well-known fact, right? And inside, if you open the pages of that Bible, it would read this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. It is the soldier's sword and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, its design, the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. How many love your Bible this morning? I want to give you a few facts about the Bible. It's a collection of how many books? 66, right. How many, uh, Tim, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Tim, how many books are in the Old Testament? Okay, I don't have to ask him. Uh, anybody know how many? What's that? 39, Gary. And how many are in the New Testament, Gary? 27. Very good. Any idea how many words are in the Bible? All of them. Good job. Over 800,000 words in the Bible. This collection of books is bound together by a central theme and a unity of purpose, which makes the books into one book. Amen? which we call the Bible. It is a historical book. Say historical book. You know, it's an, an interesting thing. When we look at history, when we look at the Bible, we've done a study on this before about how the Bible shows us things that science doesn't show us until later on. The Bible is history, but it's history that's strikingly different from ordinary history. Secular history tells of the rise and fall of nations, of great wars and battles, of the ways in which men and nations have afflicted the peoples of surrounding territories. But the Bible goes further than that, right? The Bible is an interpretation of history showing how men as individuals and as nations 
have either been blessed or punished by God for their attitude towards him and his holy law. So it shows us the moral and spiritual factors behind the historical narrative, which makes the Bible relevant to us today. How many believe the Bible is relevant for us today? Now, I can give you all the facts and figures and 39 in the old and 27 in the new and 800,000 words, and there's a lot of facts about the Bible that we can cover, right? But I don't really care so much about the facts right now. I care about whether or not you love your Bible. I care about whether or not you believe your Bible. It begins with the creation account and ends with the vision of the future return of Christ. One writer said this, its opponents have tried to prove it false and destroy it. Its true believers have staked their lives on what it says. Its contents infuriate many among the culturally elite. Yet the same contents inspire those considered to be the least by this world. Think about that. The contents of the Bible inspire those to be the least in this world, to rise above their circumstances by faith while radiating the glory of God. Why does this book, why does the Bible, why does this collection cause such a crazy response from people, either negative or positive? Why in the world are people so passionate about this? What does the word passionate mean? It means showing or caused by strong feelings, strong belief. There's people who have a strong belief in the Bible, amen? There's people who have a strong belief the Bible is not true, right? That's not time to say amen. That's time to just nod your head. What does passionate mean? It's intense. It's impassioned. It's ardent. It's fervent. It's vehement. It's heated. It's emotional. It's heartfelt. It's eager. It's excited. It's animated. It's adrenalized. It's spirited. It's energetic. It's fervent. It's frenzied. It's fiery. It's wild. It's consuming. You're enthusiastic about, you're addicted to, you're nutso about. Are you nutso about the Bible? Are you nutso about your faith? Are you addicted to the Bible? Does it sustain you? Does it hold you? Does it guide you? When we look at the Bible and what it is in our lives, it's not just the facts, it's not just 66 books and 27 in one and 39 in the other and 800,000 words, but does it sustain us? I've seen many people become passionate about many things. How many know people get passionate about their favorite team? Go blue. Okay. Next week is Iowa versus Iowa State, right? How many know people are going to get passionate around here? Oh, boy, here we go. And how many would say go Hawks? Okay. How many would say go go Dallas? I only know a few people that would say that. Uh, how many would say, how many people say go Michigan? How many how many people say David get off of this <laughs> right now? How many don't care about how many really don't care about sports teams but you have a favorite TV show? I mean, really. How many people couldn't care less about TV but you really love politics? Really? Oh, okay. In this town, come on. 
There's some people that are so passionate about politics, they fly flags. <laughs> Maybe you say, I don't really care about some of those things, but I have a political view or I have a philosophical view or a theory that I'm very passionate about. So we, we become passionate about these things. We become fervent and fiery. We become nutso for. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about things in our life, right? There's nothing wrong with having excitement for and being animated about those things. But are you passionate about the Word of God? A better question is this. Are you just as or more passionate about the Word of God than you are about your politics? Are you more than passionate about the Word of God than you are about the latest TV show or the latest movie or whether or not your sports team won? Are we passionate about the Word of God? If your answer to that question is yes, then that's awesome. You're on the right track. Amen? But if your answer is no, I mean, there's some that literally, like, in your mind right now, you're asking yourself the question, am I really passionate about the Word of God? Am I really passionate about the Bible? And I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but just in your mind, you know the answer is no. It doesn't mean that you don't have some semblance of faith. But I would say that until you become passionate about the Bible, until you become passionate about the Word of God, until you become a defender of the Word of God, your faith is on unsure footing. It's not solid. It's prone to go to whatever direction the wind blows it. What it means is this. You don't see the Bible as an authority in your life. And if the Bible's not an authority in your life, you have to question what is. What's an authority in my life? For, for, for most people, it's them. I'll do what I want and when I want. Nobody can tell me anything different. Just And that's, that's the message that's being pushed today. We watched a stupid movie preview yesterday. Just ridiculous. We watched this. We, kids and I went and saw a movie, and, and in the, before it, they showed a preview of something coming out, and and the message of this whole stupid movie is just believe in yourself. And there's a fairy godmother that's a black homosexual man that, that is just, they, they're, they're recreating everything now to fit culture. And he's wearing a dress, and we're supposed to celebrate that now. And, you know, there's a prince, and she wants to have a business, and, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with women in business. There's no, I, don't, I don't care about that. But it's one of those things where she's like, the, 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 the actress got on the camera, and she said, the goal of this movie is to show little girls that they can do anything they want to do and be anybody they want to be. However, if we look to the authority of our lives, we're called to be slaves to Christ. He's called as our master. 
We're called to be chained. But I want my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. And so we make ourselves the authority of our life. And then we question why we consistently fall on our faces. Is the Bible the authority of our life? I've seen posts on Facebook and beyond this last week. How many know the, the state of Texas did something pretty phenomenal just recently? You can clap if you want. The state of Texas has essentially banned abortion, outlawed it, and people are flying off the handle. Christians, people who call themselves believers, who are posting to Facebook and other places, a man shouldn't tell a woman what to do with her body. How about we tell what happens in defense of the defenseless? How about we say what happens and we, we dictate what happens based on the Bible and life? We are, I am, I'm going to say I, and I pray that we could say we are unapologetically pro-life. Amen? Why? Not because my thoughts. B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, right? If you didn't know, Jackie, my wife, said that Kelly should teach our children's ministry that song. Uh, it's a pretty old song. I don't know. I was raised in the 80s with it. So how many know that song, the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It is a good one. You say, Pastor David, what's going to happen in Texas? I don't know. I don't know if they'll cave. I don't know if it'll, it'll go through. I don't, I don't know if it'll go to the Supreme Court. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But what I do know is that there are people who call themselves believers who are angry about what's happening in Texas. Why? Because the Bible is clearly not the authority in their lives. Until we get on the same page as the Word of God, we are missing the mark. If we are not on the same page as the Holy Scripture, God breathed, we are missing the mark. Say, Pastor David, this all seems well and good, but I got a question for you. How could such an ancient book, because it's old, still be relevant today? How many know the Bible, either in part or whole, still ranks as the number one bestseller in the world? The number one bestseller, even today, every year, think about this more than 100 million copies are sold. Depending on what country you go to, on whether or not the Bible is outlawed, people will take, and I'm not ripping my Bible, this is already ripped, 
but I could take a page out of it. This is just Genesis 1. And actually, the commentary is most of it. It's just the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and if you took this to China, if you took this into different regions, you could give them one page, and they would treasure it. And they would memorize it before passing it on to the next person to love and cherish and memorize. And giving it to the next person, the next tribe, to love and cherish and memorize. And many times, for many of us, if not most of us, and I pray not all of us, our Bible simply sits there collecting dust. And of course, we have access to the Scripture, and so I'm not saying that if you know your old Bible is sitting somewhere collecting dust, hasn't been opened forever, that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is we want to make sure that whether it's by electronic method or by opening the Bible, we are reading the Word of God. We are obeying and listening to and praying over and meditating on the Word of God. The Bible, either in part or whole, is being read today in more than 1,200 languages. The Bible is being sold today in the languages of 97% of the world's population and is being read in almost every country and island on earth. There are many who claim education as their authority. what they've learned in college. And the truth is, I'm not against education in any way. But you have to know what to take in and what to throw out. Amen? How many know, especially in colleges and high schools, you got to know what to take in and what to throw out. Uh, somebody close to me was very upset because their child went to college and coming out of college is just off the rails crazy. Crazy, liberal, left, occultic, satanic, demonic ideas. And I told him, I said, man, I love you, but you paid for your child to be brainwashed. We are sending our children to secular universities and expecting them to hold on to Christian ideals. If you're a parent, kids looking at college, I would encourage you, send them to a university, send them to a college that's good, accredited, all that good stuff that you're looking for, that's great, but send them to a place that believes in the Bible. Why? Because we are losing a generation. Or send them to a good trade school. Honestly, we are losing a generation from liberal thought and ideas. And I have totally lost my place. Oh, there it is. Everything is highlighted now. I pushed a button, and I don't know what's going on. I should have gone to college for this. Oh, wait, I did. We get so caught up in wanting to make sure our children have the best and the brightest future. Are we thinking about that in terms of the spiritual? I don't want our children to be lost 
And so Jocelyn is getting older and Eli's getting older and we're thinking about what's the next step? What's the next level of education going to be in their lives? And I want it to be rooted in Jesus. Because the Bible is clear that if you train up a child in the way they should go, in the end they won't depart from it. And we know the context of that verse has to do with trades and things like that. But I believe that when we raise our children up in the correct context of Scripture, where we tell them, listen, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. This is what's going on. Are they going to make mistakes? Sure. But I pray that they hold fast to the faith. This is not even in my notes, but, you know, it's good stuff. So take it. How many know there are some people who go to college and they just come back dumber? Anybody know that to be true? Or sadder still, they went to college and they learned just enough to be dangerous for themselves and others. I remember coming back from college, first semester I came back, and I knew just enough to be both dangerous and dumb. That's a, that's a great combination. In an effort to prove what I knew, I got into these really stupid debates. How many know people who just like to debate? Right? How many of, I mean, just you, and anything, right? Anything. Don't all point at your spouses and stuff right now. It's not, that's not the greatest way. Mark, you know, you know anybody like that? No, Carrie's pointing at you. There's some people who like to debate anything. And the truth is, at times, I like to debate anything. Why? Because sometimes I just get in that mood. And my wife will say, oh, not today. Not today, devil. Not, she didn't say that. But in an effort to prove what I knew, I would get into these debates, stupid debates, and I made ridiculous statements to family and friends. Why? Because I, I had been to college, and now I know things. Right? The problem is that for most kids... They don't understand that once you graduate college, you're just beginning to know things. You're just beginning to learn things. Some people claim experience as their authority. That's understandable, right? I have experience. That's my authority. But that's misguided. One pastor said this, we must be careful not to interpret the scriptures by our experiences or cultural norms. Though, of course, we cannot deny our experiential or cultural presuppositions. What that means is we can't deny our experience. Instead, we need to interpret our experience by the Bible. We need to interpret culture by the Bible. If we allow the scriptures to be interpreted by our experience, our experience becomes the higher authority. Well, I know that the Bible says this, but this is what I lived. This is what I experienced. If your experience doesn't fall in line with scriptures, it's wrong. Well, you know, you don't understand. I, I felt someone speak to me, and what they said to me was powerful. It changed my life. Uh, yeah, you know, it didn't really fall in line with scripture, but guess what? It's wrong. It's wrong. I grew up in a church, grew up in a culture 
where we were led by our emotions and led by our experiences, regardless of Scripture. And where Scripture was silent, we made up our own interpretation. I would warn believers to be very careful to become engaged in spiritual practices that aren't in line with the Bible. I would warn believers to be very careful about spiritual experiences where they experience this euphoria and this high, and I felt the Lord touch me. I'm sure you felt something, but I don't know that it was Jesus. Compare it to the Bible. I love what the, if you know anything about the Bereans, Paul is teaching to the Bereans, and, and he says, listen, they say, we're not going to hold to what you teach us, but we're going to take it back and compare it to Scripture and see how that holds water. Don't believe what I'm saying today based on the word of Pastor David Hovinga. Don't believe what I'm saying today based on my position here at the church. But take what I'm saying today and compare it to the Bible. And if it doesn't line up with the Bible, throw it away. Discard it. It leads us to the next issue, and that's the issue that some people claim culture as their authority, and that is dangerous. Whatever is the standard of the world that we live in, what if the standard of the world we live in is entirely substandard to God's? People must have a true and authoritative basis for their faith. Many popular religions are based entirely on human ideas and philosophies. And thus, listen, they're going to fail every time. Will they get rich quick? They can. And there's, lot, there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of religions out there, there's a lot of cults out there that will take parts of the Bible and mix it in with their own ideas. And they will cause people to be drawn to them in ungodly and unholy amounts. In case we are not clear, Mormonism is a cult. It is a false Jesus. It is not the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. It is unbelief. It is a salvation by works. It is not the Bible. Scientology is just weird. And it is not the Bible. Amen? We need to understand this as believers. And believers, people that I love and know, will say, well, they worship Jesus. And I go, yeah, but it's not the same Jesus. Well, I mean, they, they love the Lord. No, they love their version of the Lord. Oh, no, they love the Bible. No, they love the Bible in addition to all the other books that they claim as equal to, as, authority, as authoritative as the Bible. And so we mix these things together and get what's called syncretism, 
and we, we don't see how dangerous it is. Christianity is based upon the Bible, which Christians, Christians respect as the final authority because they believe and know it is inspired by God. Why do Christians believe the Bible is inspired by God? Isn't it just books that were written by men? An approach to the subject of biblical authority must begin with God himself. For in God, all authority is finally located. God is his own authority, amen? There is nothing outside of him on which his authority is or should be established. 2 Peter verse 1 uh, or chapter 1, verse 20 says, No prophecy or scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination or own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God or were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. All scripture is given by God. It was given in two ways. First way... Gary, I don't want to pick on you today, but you seem to have some good answers. What's the first way that God spoke to people? Or God gave us Scripture? Was by what type of revelation? Moses, right? When we look at Moses, that would be direct revelation. God spoke directly to Moses. How many are glad God spoke to Moses? I sure am. Nearly 4,000 times in the Bible, we, we find words or expressions such as this. And God said, the Lord spoke to Moses, or the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Right? Exodus 3.4, God spoke to Moses. 1 Samuel 3.11, God spoke to Samuel. 1 Kings 21.17, God spoke to Elijah. There are times when the Bible indicates that God spoke to them directly and audibly. And then sometimes, not audibly, but God spoke to them. While the Bible does not give us exact details of how God spoke authoritatively through the human authors of Scripture, it does tell us that the words of Scripture originated with God and was communicated to man in order to produce the books of what we call the Bible. So first, God originated the message. He then communicated it to those whom he wanted it proclaimed. Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, right? And so forth. And so when somebody says, well, isn't the Bible just a book written by men? You can say, yes, men wrote the words down, but it was a direct result of what God had spoken to them. You said, Pastor David, do you believe that, really, that God really speaks to people like that? Yeah, I do. And I will say this. I don't say that out of my experience. I say it by faith. Because I have never in my life, in 20 years close to of ministry, I've never heard the Lord audibly speak to me. How many know what that means, audibly speak to? Just like I'm speaking to you now. Just like you are hearing me now, you would hear the voice of God. And there are some people who say that they have heard God speak like that to them. I think that's great. That's fantastic. More often than not, 
the way that God speaks to people is not by direct or an audible experience, but by what we call inspiration. Now, I've prayed to me, I've, I've prayed, not to me, sorry, I have prayed to God that he might speak to me audibly. I really have. I thought, Lord, I would, I would love to know exactly what to do. Lord, will you please give me clear, explicit direction on what to do and where to go? And honestly, I can count on one hand the number of people who I know of that have experienced that, that they've given testimony of that. But I personally have not. Now, does the fact that I haven't experienced it diminish my faith that God spoke to them? Well, no. Because although God has not spoken to me in that way, he speaks to me in other ways. And that's where we talk about inspiration. The first way God spoke was directly and at times audibly. The second way is inspiration. Second Peter, uh, we already saw the verse in Second Peter. It's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, 13. It says this, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, say not by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. How many know human wisdom is good? How many know it's, it's good to be wise? I know some people who are wiser than others, right? How, how many know it's good to have human wisdom? You need to use the brains God gave you, amen? But it cannot be compared to spiritual wisdom. We need spiritual wisdom in our lives. We want to be spiritually wise people, amen? How many want to be spiritually wise? How many want human wisdom, but you also want to be spiritually wise, right? That starts in this way. We aren't led by culture. We aren't led by personal opinion. We aren't even led by religious tradition. We are led by the Word of God given to us in the Bible, amen? There is no other inspired infallible and authoritative writing for us besides the Bible. I don't care who it came from, who wrote it down, or even if it came to you in some mystical way. I don't care if it's a number one New York Times bestseller. I really don't. I don't care if the most famous pastor in America wrote it. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you should throw it away. Direct revelation and inspired revelation are what brings us the Bible we have today. There are more aspects. I mean, we could talk about different councils and how they brought the books together, and we could go into all of those things, and there's different aspects for sure, right? But we can fully put our trust in the Bible and let it lead us and guide us in our life. I can know facts about the Bible. I can know the figures about the Bible. In fact, I can even know the scriptures of the Bible. But if I don't let it guide me, what's the point? 
I can know chapter by verse. But if it's not the authority in my life, what's the point? If we would take ourselves out of the equation, that I'm not the authority in my life, that culture is not the authority in my life, that entertainment is not the authority in my life, but that the Bible is the authority in my life. I cannot imagine the type of revival that would happen, not just in our own lives, but in this community and around the world. When believers start living according to the Bible they claim to believe. How many know God is good? He's gracious. He's faithful. But there's coming a time where that grace will run out. We talked about Revelation a few months ago. We've seen where it's headed. We know where it's going. Let's be ready. Amen.